God, we just want to thank you just for this moment in time. Uh, God, we've been all over the place over Labor Day weekend, out of state, traveling, staycations. But Lord, we come tonight expectant for you to move. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us from your word. Your word says that, that you reveal God to us. You convict us of sin and you lead us to the throne. So God, I pray as we dig into your word tonight and we talk about fear, God, that you would just lead us and guide us and you do some work in your son's name, amen. So guys, fear is kind of a funny thing. It's, uh, it's something that we probably all have in common. I don't think I've ever met anybody that has never dealt with fear, but some of our fears, let's just be honest, are super irrational. We know they're irrational. Um, let me, sh I'll share, especially when you're a kid, all right? When you're a kid, your fears, like when you look back on them, you just kind of chuckle and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I totally believe that. But <laughs> so here's mine. When I was a kid, I grew up in Iowa and we had a, we had a, a, a one level house, but in Iowa, everybody has a basement. So if you grew up in Oklahoma, I am so sorry because basement is where all the fun happens. But in Iowa, we had a basement and our basement was really long. It just kind of went the, the length of the house. It was narrow and long. And so we played football in there. We played basketball in there. We played baseball in there. Once through a bat, through a door in my basement, I had an anger problem. Um, but there was one thing about that basement that terrified me. And it was the non-existent boogeyman that would show up when I turned the lights off. And whoever the genius electrician was decided to put the light switch on the opposite end of the room, which the stairs were. And I'm not kidding. Every time, and we moved out of that house when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. And there wasn't a time where I was in the basement by myself, I didn't flip the switch. Well, be, before I did, I would, I would get down, I'd go like this. I'm not kidding. I would get like this. <laughs> Hit it, and I would just take off sprinting. And I would turn the corner, go up the stairs, like double, triple step it. And at the top, like you'd go this way, go up the stairs, and then to get into the kitchen, you'd go left. So I mean, it was like left, left, left. And when I made this turn, it was one of those, oh God. You know, like, I mean, just, I thought something was gonna grab me every time. Now I know that I was in that basement for three or four hours and there was nothing else there. I was playing baseball, video games, basketball, and there was nothing there. But every time the lights went off, I believed there might be something there. So this got me into a deep dive of what are our most irrational fears as children. Here are a couple. I hope you can re relate to some of these. The top uh, shared fear was if you ate a watermelon seed, you'd grow a watermelon in your stomach. Anybody? Anybody? Got a couple hands? Okay. How about this one? This one actually may be a, a kid one, but let's be real. Just because we're adulting does not mean this is not real. You're scared that something is going to crawl out of the toilet while you're sitting on it. Anybody else, right? Or maybe the shower drain, something's gonna come up and you're like, I am vulnerable right now, I've got nothing. All right? Or maybe it's the fear of getting stuck in the attic and no one knowing. Or maybe that fear that we all have when the, when the sun goes down and, we and, and you look out that window and you can't see anything out there but everyone can see you. And you're like, I need to shut the curtains because everyone's watching me. And we can't even stand, I mean, it's not even, not, not, we got to double, you know, overlap it, pull that thing, right? Because some crazy person's watching us. Maybe if, if, I was a church rat when I was a kid. I was at church all the time. I did the sleepovers. And one of the things that always scared me at church was the red exit sign at the end of the dark hallway. I was convinced as a kid that that is the entrance to hell. 
I'm not kidding. Like I thought like if I go down there too far, I might get sucked in. Because it's dark, the whole, the whole hallway is glowing red. And the sign says exit, and I took that as my exit to life. And so I, I, exit, I mean, look at the exit signs in here. You turn the lights off here, it's gonna be creepy, real fast. And then lastly, that one when you're a kid, you're laying in bed, and you realize your foot is hanging off the side of the bed. And for a moment you think, something is gonna grab me and yank me out of bed, under the bed, and I'm gonna go to the exit sign. Like, I'm gonna die. <laughs> right, like we know, we know that these, these fears are crazy. But there is something about fear that gets its hook in us and will not let go. It can be silly things like this. Can, I mean, let's just get real here for a second. Can we just be honest? Let's just be honest tonight. Your generation loves vulnerability and honesty. So can I just see a show of hands? This is not rhetorical. If you have ever dealt with fear or anxiety on any level at any point in your life, raise your hand. Look around. Get them up. Let's be proud of our fear, right? I mean, that's, that's almost everybody in this room. So let's, let's talk about this subject, not shying away from it, pretending like it's not us. This is us, to steal the line from the show. This is us. We fear. Fear controls us, it gets us hooks into us. Like when change happens, whether it's expected or unexpected, fear is usually the primary emotion that comes out. You lose a job, you don't get the job, you gotta move somewhere new. Like whatever the change may be, fear grips us. And the strange thing about fear is yes, it's universal. Like everybody in this room at some level has probably dealt with fear. And so on that level, it's universal, but Fear is incredibly individual. No one's fear is exactly the same. Because some people grew up one way and some grew up the other, and they're going to look at certain things a different way, the same way, it doesn't matter. It's universal, but also individual. Fear is real, but it is a liar. And if we don't fight it, it will grip us, it will paralyze us and rob us and overwhelm us. If, did you get my itch? If we don't fight it. If we just sit back and say, fear, take me. And I think a lot of us, we actually do that. When, we're, when, we, when that, that, the, the, the fear hooks get in, we're just like, oh, here we go again. It's not gonna happen for me. I'm not good enough. They're gonna find out. Whatever it may be. Those fears come quickly. Now, I just wanna make a, a, a little caveat to clarify something. Because fear is something that, like I said, is very real and very close to some of you. I just want to be clear that there is a clinical fear of anxiety and anxiety. And I talked to one of our counselors here on staff because I want to make sure I treat this well. And I said, how do, how do you know if it's um, just something you deal with or something you need to go see a professional about or something that you really need to, to look into? He said this. He said, legitimate clinical anxiety and fear. If you have dealt with it for a long time, if you've tried to kick it, but it always comes back, it's no longer situational, it's constant. No matter how much you pray or read, it doesn't go away. Like if that, if, if what I just read and you're saying, you know what, Andy, that, that sounds like what I deal with. Then I want you to come talk to me. I want to help you uh, find somebody to, to, um, to process that with who can actually really help in a very trained and clinical manner because that's real. The last thing I would ever want to get up here and do is say, well, if you have fear, knock it off. <laughs> like, I love to golf. I love it. Don't get to do it very often. 
And when I do get to go, there's a pretty healthy slice that I hit. For those who don't golf, it means the ball does not go straight. It takes a drastic right turn shortly after I hit it. That's a slice. And if someone were to come to me and say, hey, Andy, God says don't hit a slice anymore. I'd be like, uh, thanks for nothing. Like, what, what do you mean? And he, so here's the deal. This fear not, this is the command, but this is not the instruction. And just like golf, if I don't seek out instruction and counsel and work and practice at it, it's not going to improve my slice. So don't hear me say at any point in this series, just stop it. Just stop it. You shouldn't fear. Stop it. Because that's not how we function. That's not real. We need to deal with fear in a very real, tangible way. But for some of you, it's, it's gone beyond just a situational fear. It's gone be, beyond just a circumstantial anxiety. It, it is everything all the time on you. You can't shake it. Man, let's, let's, let's find some people to get you with who are trained that can walk you through that season, okay? The other question I asked my friend uh, about fear, who's a, who's a counselor, I said, what, like, what, are there, uh, what, what kind of fear is there? He's like, there's basically two kinds of fear. I loved how he's simple. It's just, just two. He said, there's healthy fear, and healthy fear is protecting, it is productive, and it's purposeful and rooted in wisdom. Guys, there is healthy fear out there. And I thought, what, what, what healthy fear can I use as an example? I know what it is, a fear of bears. That is a really healthy fear. Why? Because if I fear bears, it's going to protect me from doing stupid things, going out into the wild with, like, sausage hanging out of my pockets. It's going to protect me. It's going to be productive because I'm not going to be mauled by a bear. And lastly, it's purposeful. There's a purpose and a reason I fear bears because it's a real fear, and bears will maul you. That's healthy fear. Unhealthy fear is limiting, destructive, and rooted in anxiety. Unhealthy fear limits you, it is destructive, and it's rooted in anxiety. An unhealthy fear is my basement fear of the boogeyman, it's not real. It gripped me with fear. It changed how I behaved. As silly as it may have been for me to run across the room, there were many times where I slipped on the tile floor and hit my head on the ground. It wasn't protecting me. It was putting me in a place of destruction. Like I was hurting myself trying to get away from something that didn't exist. Healthy fear leads to internal peace. And we're going to unpack this as we go. Unhealthy fear brings internal chaos. So there's healthy fear, and there's, un, uh, uh, there's healthy and unhealthy fear. Some of you have probably heard how many times fear not, or some variation of that phrase is seen in the Bible. I feel like with integrity, we can say it's over 150 times in the Bible that we see the phrase, or some variation of do not be afraid, do not fear, fear not. And I love, I love that we serve a God who knows us so well to over 150 times tells us, do not be afraid. I know it's coming quick, don't do it. Watch me. You see this theme all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of this idea of fear not. It's wonderful that we serve and worship a God who knows our issues. He knows that we're weak and that we are vulnerable to this thing called fear. And so in this series, here's where we're gonna be. 
We're going to touch on all these things in the upcoming weeks. We're going to touch on the fear of being alone. We're going to touch on the fear of the unknown. We're going to touch on the fear of insignificance. We're going to talk about the fear of letting go. We're going to talk about the fear of failure. So if any of those touch, touch a nerve or you know somebody, then man, bring them. Let's look at a biblical view of fear when it comes to these things. And so I want to talk real quick. We're going to, we're going to kind of reset this message. I want, I want to tell another story to get us going here. There's a movie in the, in the 90s, I believe it was, called I Know What You Did Last Summer. Anybody seen that movie? Maybe, some, maybe too young for some of you. But it, here's the premise of this movie. It's like the, the quintessential teeny bopper summer scary flick. It was like during my college years where like all like Freddie Prince Jr. and Michelle Geller and uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, like they were in every movie. It just, they, that's all they did. And so this particular movie hits on one of these fears. And what they do is they're driving in their car, doing some things they shouldn't be doing, and they hit a pedestrian in the middle of the road and kill this person. And they decide, what do we do? What, like our futures are at stake here. What do we do? Oh no, like we're gonna be found out, all this stuff. And so they, they dump the body in, 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 some, in, a, in the ocean, and they drive off. And they're the, they're the only four that know what happened. And so they go out in their lives, the school year happens, the sports and everything. Life goes on. Until the next summer, when they get a letter in the mail that says, I know what you did last summer. And then, just like you know, everything goes crazy. People start dying left and right, and there's, you know, whatever. It's craziness. But... Here's the premise of the movie. They were fearful of being found out. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is the fear of being found out versus the freedom of being known. Like, we live in a world, like, I mean, there's just, I feel like there's a news story every day of someone being found out. And it's devastating. It is tragic for everyone involved because they've been found out. They tried to hide it and they found out, they were found out. So we're gonna talk about this fear of being found out because I, I bet a lot of us feel this way. I know I have. Because in my opinion, this is a foundational fear that many other fears build upon. All these other fears we're gonna talk about, I think build on this one. The fear of being found out that we're a fraud. That maybe we're not as cool as we, we want people to think we are. Maybe I'm not as good at my job as my boss thinks I am. Maybe the person I'm dating doesn't know what I do when, when she's not around or he's not around. Maybe my family doesn't know that I'm living way above my income and I am drowning in debt. We've got to keep up the appearance, right? We've got to, we, we got to keep it up. Because how, how dare anyone find out that I'm not who I'm projecting myself to be? If you're worried that you're the only one, I found a couple of examples that made me feel a lot better. Academy Award-winning actress Kate Winslet in one interview said, I'd wake up every morning before going off to the shoot and think, I can't do this, I'm a fraud. Another Academy Award-winning actor, Don Cheadle, said this, all I can see is everything I'm doing wrong that is a sham and a fraud. So if you've ever thought to yourself, one of these days people will realize I don't know as much as I think, then you're an excellent company tonight because you're not alone. So here's where we're gonna be tonight. We're gonna talk about this fear of being found out and that the, that the freedom of being known begins with agreeing with God, being known as being free, and being known defeats the enemy's greatest weapon. 
So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be tonight. It's going to kind of be our, our, our anchor verse. We're going to look at some other texts, but we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5. It's on the very far right side of your Bible, uh, immediately after 2 Corinthians. So f- find your way there. As you get there, let me just tell you a little about Galatians. This is one of Paul's churches. He has launched a church in the city of Galatia, and he has had to leave. And he gets word that there are other teachers coming into the town, changing and and twisting what he has taught. And so he writes this letter to correct them. These these, uh, false teachers were, were telling the church in Galatia that Jesus wasn't enough for them to be accepted by God, that they had to add to their faith. They must also obey the Old Testament Jewish law, and they must become Jews, which even included circumcision and observing the Jewish dietary laws. Basically, they said, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to be a Jew. You need to follow all of our rules for God to approve of you. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, one of my favorite lines, Paul writes, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Like he's saying, what, what are you believing? Because the gospel that I have told you about Jesus is enough You have thrown out the window and you are listening to crazy people saying, it's Jesus plus something. It is not Jesus plus something. It's just Jesus. He has paid for your sin. He has made all things new. It's not Jesus and. And so that's where we write, we find in Galatians 5, chapter 1, where Paul says this. We're just going to look at one verse tonight. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Which brings me to my first point tonight, and that is this. Being known begins with agreeing with God. Being known begins with agreeing with God. Because here's the secret. God already knows. He already knows. The sin that so easily entangles us, he knows that the temptations that grip us, he knows the fears that control us, he already knows. We don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend, and, 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 and the, the, God, I can't let you know this part of me. He already knows. In Psalm 32.5, says this, I made known my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David's saying, listen, I, I told you everything. This is who I am, and you forgave me. We see this theme continue in Romans chapter five, verse eight. It says this, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, guys, young adults, you are pre-approved in Christ. There is nothing that you can do to earn approval outside of Jesus Christ. You're pre-approved. You don't have to fill out an application and turn it in to get approved. God already knows. He knows your greatest fear. He knows your greatest sin. He knows your greatest shame. He knows it all. He's seen everything, and he says, yet, while they were yet sinners, 
before you ever sinned, He knew. Galatians 5 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Why did Jesus come? Because God already knew. He knew you'd need a Savior. He knew I'd need a Savior. Before I was a thought in anyone's head, before I was ever even dreamed of being a person, before my parents ever even had a conversation about having children, God said, Andy, I know what you will do. And what you will do will separate you from me. And so I'm going to fix this problem. And I'm going to send my son Jesus because he already knows. And so being known begins with agreeing with God. that they, Yeah, that's what I did. Christ be, came because God knew you and he knew me. You see, we are already known to God. And the cross of Christ is proof to us that God knows you and me and he is not ashamed of you. The, that the cross is proof that whatever you've done, whatever you've thought, whatever you've wanted to do, whatever sin so easily entangles you, he's not ashamed of you. He sent his son to die for you. He said, you are worthy. I love you. I care for you. Look at my son. That's my proof. The cross is not a fashion statement. It's proof of God's love for you because he knows you. He fully knows you. And he truly loves you. But what we like to do is what my son likes to do. And every time he gets caught doing something, he wants to justify himself. He wants to tell me all the reasons why what he just did is not that bad. He wants to convince me that there was good reason for him to do that or say that or have that attitude, whatever. He, he just wants to justify and justify. And I just want to say, stop. I don't want to hear it. I saw what you did. I know you, son. Just come to me and agree. Dad, I did that, yeah. That's not what I, that's, I should have done it. I didn't want to do it. That's not who I want to be. Can you forgive me? And as a dad, it breaks my heart to see him go into this cycle of justification that all that's going to push into his little brain is that he can do it. When I want to tell him, my love for you began before you were even here. You don't need to justify yourself to me, son. I love you. Just because you've done something doesn't mean I don't love you. We like to justify. And God sent his son Jesus to justify. Instead of agreeing with God, we argue with him. And I think our sin, I don't want to make, I don't want to make light of sin because some of us in here probably take sin way too light. We probably look at the, well, at least I'm not doing that, or I'm not doing that, or I'm not out doing that, or whatever. But some of you need to also hear that God loves you and cares for you and sees you as his kid. That he's not disgusted with you. He's not surprised by our, our failings. He already knows. He already knew. So he's not surprised that we would do things that run, run away from him. The heart of a father says, I don't dislike you, I don't, I'm not disappointed in you, my heart is broken for you because you're chasing after things that will lay you down. You're chasing after things that will break your heart. You're putting things on a pedestal that will eventually let you down. And so yes, sin breaks the heart of our father but not because he didn't know or he was surprised. 
His heart breaks at our sin because he knows our sin is the worst thing for us. And he loves you. So remember that being known by God and agreeing with him that we need a savior frees us from the burden of proving, earning, and making ourselves acceptable to him. And once we understand that we are fully known by God and truly loved by God, then it also frees us from the shackles of our fears of being found out. Because God already knows. He already knows. He loves me. He sent his son to die for me and he forgave me. So what do I need to be afraid of? This brings me to my second point. Being known is being free. Being known is being free. Galatians 5.1 said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He came to take the chains of shame and throw them off of you. Not to put them on you. I grew up in a, you've heard me say before, I grew up in a church where they, they use shame and guilt and chains and they wrap me up tight with guilt and shame. Don't do this. How dare you do that? That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ came to set you free from the sin that so easily entangles you. You've heard me say before, Jesus did not come to catch you in your sin. He came to set you free from the sin that has caught you. That is the gospel. And that is the freedom that Christ is talking about. James 5.16, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It says, confess your sins to one another, praying for one another so that you may be healed. If you're a math person, this is an equation. Confess to one another, pray for one another, equals that you may be healed. Because I don't know about you, but I've, I've lived long enough in this life where I've had plenty of secret sin in my day. I've had plenty of things that I've done that I've thought that I've taken part of that I am ashamed of. And if you've been around me for any, any length of time, I've shared this story time and time again. But man, the first time I ever did this, James 5.16, was the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced. The first time I had to be found out on my own volition. I had to confess. I was terrified. It was when I was 20 years old. I was filling out a summer uh, application to a summer camp called Canacuck. And on that contract, it says, if you've done this, done this, done this in the last 12 months, before you sign your contract, call your director. And for the first two summers, I just ignored it. And I just sent it in. Like, I'm not admitting to any of that. <laughs> Are you crazy? I want, I want to work there. Right? I was hiding. I had hidden shame. But the third summer, the Holy Spirit would not let me get past the question that said, if you have looked at pornography in the last 12 months, do not sign this before you call your director and talk to him about it. And I thought, I'll have to sign it again. I could not do it. The Holy Spirit would not let me sign it. And I got sick to my stomach. I thought I was gonna lose my job. I thought my reputation's gone. It's gonna get out. All this, all this stuff that I so carefully protected because I didn't want to do James 5.16. I did not want to confess. 
I did not want to be known. I did not want to be found out. It was my greatest fear. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I made the phone call. And I told my director, I'm like, I've looked at pornography in the last 12 months. What's going, to, what, what's going on? And I will never forget the grace with which I was received. It blew my mind. Because I had grown up believing that if I am known, I will be rejected. If I am known, I will be unloved. If I am known, no one will likely. If I'm known, they will abandon my friendship. That's what I believed. And that's what Satan pounded into my head every day. You can't tell anybody. Don't let them know you. They won't love you. They won't accept you. They won't be your friend anymore. Everything you, you are, you're a fraud, Andy. Don't say it. Just keep pretending. Keep pretending. And this is what he said to me. He said, Andy, number one, thank you for telling me. Because it's the guys that don't call me that I worry about, not the guys that call me. Do I still have a job? <laughs> He's like, absolutely, you still have a job. But when we get here, let's talk about it. Let's set up an accountability plan for you. Dude, we're gonna get rid of this in your life. I was received with grace. I had never experienced it before. I had sung about it. I had talked about it. I would led Bible studies on it. But I had never, in my life, in a very real, tangible way, experienced grace. And the only way we can experience true gospel grace is to confess our sins to one another, to be known, to be fully known. Undeserved favor is what grace is. I don't deserve it, but I get it in Christ. In Psalm 32, 10, same Psalm, Psalm 32, says many are the sorrows of the wicked. And that word wicked in the Hebrew means guilty. Many are the sorrows of the guilty, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And for the first time in my life, when I was 20 years old, I trusted that God, you tell me I'm supposed to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm terrified. I don't want to do it. The last thing in the world I want to do is tell someone my business and the things that I'm ashamed of. And I was surrounded and received with grace that I thought was not available to me because I grew up believing you had to be a perfect Christian. You see, being known by others is the path to freedom from shame and healing from the wounds of our life, whether those wounds are self-inflicted or by someone else. Because I know there are things in here that you are ashamed of that were not your fault, that were done to you, done for you, you were forced to do it, you were in it, whatever it is. But there's also sin, hidden sin, that we have chosen to partake in. And it is through confession, according to James 5.16, that you find healing for your soul. My question that comes to my mind, if you're, I, I, this tells, I, uh, I'm old, okay? I feel old. When I work out, I'm really sore for like 10 days. Like, it's not like you guys, you work out next morning, you're like, let's do it again. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm past those days. And so a lot of times when I'm talking to you guys, I think about you as my kids. Like, what, what would I tell my boys? Here would be my question at this point in my talk. <laughs> Here's the question. Have you ever humbled yourself to a point where you actually could receive grace. 
Have you actually ever put yourself intentionally in a position to receive grace, to be welcomed and loved by Jesus when you don't deserve it? Have you ever actually done that? Because if you haven't, then the words you sing are empty words. They're still true, but man, I want my kids, I want you guys to understand and in a tangible, real way experience the grace of Jesus Christ. And I believe the only way you can truly do that is to enter in to a vulnerable place and say, this is who I am, be known, be known. Alcoholics Anonymous has a saying that says this, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I gotta, I gotta be honest with you, for many, many years I was very, very sick. I had a lot of secrets. You would have known it. I was really good, really good at playing the game. But I love that phrase from AA. You're only as sick as your secrets. And gathering young adults, it's time to get healthy. Today is a new day, tomorrow's a new day. So here's what I wanna encourage you to do, pick a safe person. Now I know that just thinking about telling someone and being known to someone is terrifying because some of y'all have tried it and you've been burned. Some of you have let yourselves be known and it got out. They were not a safe person. They told people, they, they threw it back at you, they condemned you. That's not a safe person. Find a safe person. And so again, I called my buddy in our counseling room and said, what's a safe person? What can I tell them? He said this, number one, these are not on the screen because I got them about a half an hour ago. <laughs> number one, someone who is gracious. And what he means by that is someone who's teachable and open to feedback. If they're not open to feedback, they don't want to hear it, then they're not a gracious person. Move on. Number two, someone who is humble, are they willing to admit when they're wrong? Because if they can admit when they're wrong, then they're going to be okay hearing when you're wrong. Are they humble? Number three, are they Christ-centered do they want to help you grow in Christ-likeness? Are they Christ-centered? And number four, are they faithful? Will they follow up with what they tell you they will do? Are they faithful? If you know that they're a flaky person, no, they're not a safe person. Brene Brown has a couple great tweet or uh, quotes from her book. It's that one says this, if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame cannot survive. If we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, and for the Christian that means with grace and kindness, shame cannot survive. She says on the flip side, if we share our shame story, with the wrong person, they can easily become one more piece of fine debris in an already dangerous storm. So as much as I am encouraging you to be known, instead of worrying about being found out, find a safe person, someone who is gracious, humble, 
Christ-centered and faithful. And I'll give you this last piece of advice on this point. Don't verbally vomit everything you've ever done on them the first time you talk to them. (laughs) I've done that. I've had people do it to me. It's like, whoa, okay. Counselor, where are you? (laughs) It's just too much. So here's what you do. If you don't know if they're a safe person, start small. Don't share the whole story. Share a little bit. Be specific, but share a little bit. See how they react. Are you received with grace? Are they asking you, well, what does this mean for your faith? Are they Christ-centered? So start off small. See if they're a safe person instead of just throwing it all out there at the first get-go. Start small. And then the other question on the other side is, are you a safe person? Could your friends come to you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, because you are humble, because you are gracious, because you are Christ-centered, and because you are faithful? If not, then let's become those kind of people because those people are life-giving people. My director at Canacuck was humble, he was gracious, he was faithful, and he was Christ-centered. And it did, it changed my faith forever and ever and ever. My last point tonight, number three, is being known defeats the enemy's greatest weapon. Being known defeats the enemy's greatest weapon weapon because Satan would want nothing more than to keep you hidden and enslaved to your shame because it's in secret that Satan goes to town because you are alone and no one knows it. You're you're getting the living crap be out of you and nobody knows it. Your small group doesn't know it. Your best friend doesn't know it. Your boyfriend doesn't know it. Your girlfriend doesn't know it. Your spouse doesn't know it. But being known takes all that away. You see, the hidden life is a heavy life. The hidden life is a heavy life. Trying to keep my secrets, trying to keep it from everybody else so that no one finds me out. It just takes me back to Psalm 32 10. It says, Many are the sorrows of the guilty. Many are the sorrows of the guilty. A hidden life is a heavy life. It will weigh you down, it'll burden you, and it will destroy you. And along the way, it'll destroy your relationships, it'll destroy your faith, it'll destroy everything. Because you're so busy trying to cast out this this perception of perfection, and you cannot do it. Many are the sorrows. My favorite idea about this comes from Revelation 21 where Satan is called the accuser. Because Satan, his favorite pastime with Christians especially is to play the role of the accuser. He will remind you time and time again of what you've done, what you've looked at, what you've said, how you said it, where you went, who you hung out with, how many times you've done it, how many times you've repented and then gone back to it. He will remind, he's got a great memory. Satan loves to accuse you and accuse you and accuse you so that your shame just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and you feel terrible about yourself because here's the deal with shame. Shame is an identity thing. Guilt is an action thing. Guilt says, I feel bad about what I did. Shame says, I feel bad about who I am. And Satan is a shame dealer. 
He would love nothing more than for you to believe the things that you've done are who you are. And the only place that grows is in secret. So here's what I like to do. I started off by saying the first step in being known is agreeing with God. For the Christian, when shame comes raining down on your life, when something happens and all those memories that start coming back, oh, I did it again. Man, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm pervert, whatever it is. Agree with Satan. Yeah, I did do that. You're right, I did. I did that. I went there. But guess what? You are not the only one that knows because I'm known to my whole small group. My whole small group knows. They all know. So that what you're trying to attack me with means nothing to me. Good for you. You're in the know now, Satan. Everyone else knows too. So what else you got? You see, being known frees us from that shame. Because now I got friends and I got people around me who are, who are walking with me through that and, and, and praying with me and I'm finding healing. So when Satan comes and says, well, Andy, you remember who you are? Do you remember what you did? I was like, yeah, I did do that. But guess what? Jesus. Jesus knows. And he said, I love you and you are worth it. I'm gonna die on the cross and I will take all that away. I will take all of the consequence for your total soul away. And so we take Satan's greatest weapon, shame, and we dismantle it by being known. Because no longer can he accuse you of anything. I think about it like this. I have a mortgage. Um, and if some wealthy benefactor came and said, Andy, here's the deal. I want to pay off your mortgage. And then on top of that, I'm going to give you access to my personal bank account. So whatever you need is taken care of. How dumb would Satan be to come back to me and say, hey, Andy, remember you owe money? <laughs> what? No, I don't. It's been paid for. That's shame. That's Satan. That's the truth of the gospel. That what we have done, Christ came to set you free. And while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. God demonstrates his love for you by doing that. He has paid your debt. So Satan has nothing on you. Nothing. For the Christian, he has nothing on you. So what? We take away his greatest tool by being known. By letting those around us who are safe people, who care for us and love us and say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I did. I did it. Satan, you're right. I did it. But you know what? Jesus knows too, and he already died and paid for it. It's done. It's gone. My shame has been nailed to the cross. That is when you say amen. <laughs> the other example I thought of just very quickly, you guys ever get scam phone calls? I remember the first one I got. I was driving down to Oklahoma, downtown Oklahoma City, and I got a scam phone call that uh, I hadn't turned in my taxes and that the IRS was coming after me within 24 hours if I didn't pay this person whatever amount of money. And it, I mean, I, it was the first one I'd ever gotten, so I was like, oh my gosh, oh no, oh, oh my gosh. And so I hung up the phone, I, I made one phone call, called my accountant, and I said, Bill, are my taxes good to go? Yep, Andy, no problem, you're actually getting a, a refund this year, so I'm like, okay, I don't, I just need to know I'm good. And then all my fear went away. 
one phone call. Because when Satan comes calling to remind you and accuse you of a debt that you owe, you got to make one phone call. And that is to Jesus. And say, Jesus, was the cross really enough? He's like, you bet. Okay, my fear's gone. I don't need to worry about my shame. I need to let shame die a quick death because Jesus on the cross took my shame. The very thing that I'm embarrassed about, the very thing that if you guys knew about me, I would just crumble up into a circle. We all have that thing. That's what Christ went to the cross for. Not so you'd be a better person, not so you'd have a better life. He came to the cross to take your shame and nail it to the cross that it would be dead and gone forever so that you could be free of the fear of being found out because you are known by God. He tells us to be known by others and in doing so, we take away the greatest weapon that Satan has. So as always, I wanna share with you one truth and two questions as I close. Here's the truth, being known by God and others frees you from the fear of being found out and the shame that wears you out. Being known by God and others frees you from the fear of being found out and the shame that wears you out. My first question is this, are you willing to be known? Are you willing to be known? Because just that question strikes fear in some of our hearts. Because I have been well-crafting my, my, my hiding spot for a long, 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 long time. And to be found out means I've wasted a lot of time. My pride has gotten the best of me. It's admitting that I've been deceitful to myself and those around me. Are you, being willing, are you willing to be found out? And if so, what is the first step of obedience you need to take in being known? What's the first step? The second question is this. What lie are you believing that is keeping you from living in the freedom and grace of Jesus Christ? What lie are you believing that's keeping you from living in the freedom and grace of Christ? Because we believe lies all the time. And fear is a liar. And so we believe our fears that if I'm known, I will be rejected. If I'm known, they won't like me. If they known, they'll break up with me. If I'm known, I'll get fired. If I'm known, whatever. What is the lie that you're believing that says your performance dictates everything? Because at the cross, your performance was null and void. Jesus said, no, no, I don't need your performance. I have done, I've done everything. So are you willing to be known, and what lie are you believing that is keeping you from living in the freedom and grace of Christ? We're going to go back into a time of worship here, but let me just say this. I want to finish with this. All this fear of being found out starts and ends at the cross of Christ, where God says, I know you, I love you, and I welcome you. Come to me and find rest and healing and salvation for your weary soul. Stop bearing the burden you cannot bear. Christ has bore that burden for you. And it's at the cross of Christ that our life, this life of hiding in our shame, keeping up appearances, protecting our carefully crafted perfections, our worthiness, our lovability, our acceptability before God, it's at the cross of Christ where this life goes to die. And we find freedom and victory in the cross of Christ. Because he is the one who took my shame. He is the one who conquered death. 
He is the one that forgave my sin. But it's that same cross where our new life begins, a life where we are free from shame, expectations of perfection. We're free from earning. We're free from proving our worthiness. The cross of Christ is everything. It declares over all of humanity and every individual in this room that you are known by a God who loves you. You are forgiven by a God who loves you. You are welcome and you are loved by the God who made you. So we're gonna go into our 120 seconds. If you're new, it's just 120 seconds to think and pray and say, God, what did, what, what, what did I hear tonight that was for me? And as always, our prayer team is gonna be in the back. They're heading back there right now. And I'm just gonna be honest. Maybe allowing someone to pray for you is your first step in being known. Maybe just going back and saying, hey, I, I got some stuff. Would you just pray for me? I've got some shame that I've been hiding. Would you pray for me? Because what does James 5, 16 say? Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. So if you're here tonight and you've got shame that is weighing you down, you've got secrets that you don't want anyone to know, I'm not saying you have to tell them you can because every single one of those people are safe people. We wouldn't let them be back there if they weren't safe people. But maybe tonight, during our 120 seconds and the next several worship songs that we're gonna sing and celebrate the cross, your first step of being known is just letting someone pray for you, pray over you, that you would know the freedom that Christ offers. Let me pray. God, I wanna thank you for this night. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Galatians 5 and Psalm 32. God, I pray that as you do work in us, Holy Spirit, as you do work in us, God, that you would give us the boldness to be known and that we would no longer be afraid of being found out, God, because you know us. God, you know us. Every single thing you know. And you said, I love you. I will die for you to make all things new. So God, I pray you'd free some prisoners tonight. You'd take the chains that are wrapped around their hearts and their minds and you would drop them on the floor and let them walk out free like they've never felt before. God, that they would experience your grace, not just sing about it hypothetically, not talk about it theoretically, but they would know it practically because they have let themselves be known and they've been received with grace. So Lord, do your work. And then let our worship be pleasing and honoring to you.